Well, friends, if we haven't met, my name is Adam, and it's my joy to be senior pastor here at our church. And I have so many reasons to be proud uh, to be a part of this place. And one of those is our longstanding work in Haiti. In 2010, Haiti experienced a devastating earthquake. Uh, it, was, it, was, uh, it was just really tough. I think we got a photo of some of the devastation. In the following year, in 2011, a team from our church went to contribute to relief efforts. And while they were there, I think we got a shot of them too. While they were there, uh, they met with Haitian parents living in Tent City. And, and that was probably a generous term, just, just stuff pieced and scraped and taped together. And the overall need, the theme of what, uh, what our team heard from these parents is we want our children educated. Over and above the other needs that, that, that were very present and very real, uh, things like clean water or housing or medical care or steady work, they wanted their children educated. And so the seeds of what would become our ministry, Love Haiti, were planted in 2011. And now, 11 years later, it stands on its own as a nonprofit centered on the education of Haitian students. This year alone, 46 students were given tuition, uniforms, and support. And over these 11 years, hundreds of lives have been touched. Hundreds of students have benefited from this small start 11 years ago. None of these folks would have guessed where all this would have led. Our church's efforts have also drawn uh, financial support from other sources. We've gotten grants for tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, and, and that's all due to the exemplary work of Debbie Bazard and her team. She would be the first one to tell you. Sure, get the blood pumping with some, with some applause. Now, Debbie would be the first one to tell you that it's not just her. There's a whole group of folks that contribute to this greatly. Uh, and this year, in advance of our Christmas offering, we, we typically uh, offer all of, all of the gifts given at Christmas to Love Haiti. Uh, we've already received a $20,000 gift. Uh, so it's, it's just incredible work that was done. So this is all great, right? Things in hate. Sure, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> uh, and so we're going to take a turn uh, because things in Haiti, uh, great would, be not, would not be a word you would use to describe uh, the state of things there. In July of last year, the Haitian president uh, was assassinated. And the government has been in disarray. Uh, gangs kidnap people for ransom money or uh, they control the food supply. So food is really hard to come by. But if you want to pay a gang, they will, they will deliver you food uh, with regularity. But that's for a price, of course. And so our students uh, at times have ceased meeting out of fear for their teachers and for the students' safety. And so uh, up against all this, it's like, what can our church do in response? Well, that's what dedicated people are working on. And the situation is really fluid. Now, one thing we know we can't do is quit. Our friends in Haiti need assistance now more than ever. We must be willing to stick by them even when the solutions aren't easy. Right, like in Haiti, the scope of the evil and dysfunction happening is, is hard to conceive of, and it can be overwhelming. And it's tempting to think, you know, what, what difference could we possibly make in comparison to an entire nation with the long and complicated history of, of colonizing exploitation and poverty and corruption? 
that we would have never guessed on that first trip the harvest that God would bring about in the following 11 years. And so now we just keep going. That's what we do. We don't quit. I'm reminded of one of my favorite verses. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. That's from Galatians 6, 9. So what I hope we'll discover together as we study God's word is that God will send us if we are willing. In this series called Scatter, we've been looking at what can happen when we plant seeds of faith that are multiplied for a harvest that God brings about. We've talked about our church being in the seed planting business and how when we contribute to that work, God can multiply our efforts. And today we'll see the opportunity to celebrate God's harvest is all around us. Matthew 9 tells us as much. Matthew is one of the four gospels of Jesus. That's a word that means good news. And so the gospels are the good news of the life of Jesus, the son of God, who lived briefly, died violently, and rose unexpectedly. In our scripture today, Jesus employs an agricultural metaphor as he often does. Jesus lived in an agricultural society, and so the words and images he used were indicative of that. His speech showed that Jesus was fully acquainted with human life in its multiple ways and means. Because of his acquaintance with the broad expanse of human life, he was able to minister to people of all social strata, all kind of folks. He spoke the language of the people and taught them at their own level. I love that quote. In Jesus' travels, he became famous, not just for his teaching, not just for his accessibility, but because of the miracles that he performed and his healing of people. And so he drew a crowd wherever he went. Matthew 9, verse 35 tells us, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. So where were the towns and villages that Jesus went through? It's a pretty, it's a surprisingly small area. Here's a map of Jesus' ministry in the first century. And that green area is, is where he traveled. These are the, the towns that we hear about in the second half of the Bible called the New Testament. Matthew 36 tells us in chapter 9, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, before we get into the more serious side of verse 36, uh, I had a video I enjoyed and thought you might too. You know, when people are compared to sheep, it is not a compliment. All right, have you seen this? Check it out. Who hasn't been there? <laughs> I just love that so much. Uh, sheep, not the wisest animal. Not a compliment. Sheep without a shepherd. Uh, and, and so it, it, this, this image, just what you have it in your mind, it's not hard to spot. Uh, if you watch any amount of NFL games, you've probably, like me, seen this commercial 
one million times. Check this out. There's one thing everyone wants. We all want the incredible new iPhone 14 Pro now at T-Mobile. And T-Mobile gives you Apple TV Plus included. Get iPhone 14 Pro on us. You know, just the image of people stampeding towards the iPhone store just reminded me of sheep without a shepherd, right? What is the one thing everyone wants? The new iPhone. I, I just, I, I, maybe one of the advantages of giving a sermon is you get, you get to rant about commercials you don't like. Uh, but I think we got a picture of that too, right? We got the, uh, the folks, yeah, there it is, you know, stampeding towards the store like sheep without a shepherd. 2,000 years later, this phrase is still accurate. Right? Just look at the news. The consequences of destructive choices that people make is, is everywhere. We can see it all around us. We already talked about gangs in Haiti, sheep without a shepherd, high schoolers that have been affected by fentanyl use, that, that the poor choices adults make have trickled down into our schools. Sheep without a shepherd. When, when, when we look to social media as our standards of beauty or try and compare everyone else's highlight reel to our behind the scenes and we get envious or we get depressed or, or whatever, we're listening to other voices besides Jesus the good shepherd. And we let social media inform us on what kind of lives we should be leading. We're like sheep without a shepherd. When we pursue the latest and greatest thing that everyone wants, we behave like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus said when he looked upon the crowds, it's like they were harassed and helpless. And it can feel that way because that's the way of the world. Influences beyond our control in their pervasiveness and their intensity. The chorus of voices that compete for our attention every day. And so how does Jesus look upon you and I when we act like sheep without a shepherd? The same way Jesus looked upon the crowds he encountered, we read in verse 35 that he had compassion on them. Pastor Mitch talked about this a few weeks ago. The word compassion in the original language, Greek, has at its root uh, the word for bowels, meaning Jesus was moved in his very depths that he cared for people and felt it all the way in his gut. Our eligibility to participate in God's harvest is determined by how we view the world. Is it with contempt or with compassion? Biblical scholar William Barclay said when Jesus and the Orthodox religious leaders of his day looked on the crowd of ordinary men and women, they saw in them quite different ways. Excuse me, they saw them in quite different ways. The Pharisees saw the masses as chaff to be destroyed and burned up. Jesus saw them as a harvest to be reaped and to be saved. The Pharisees in their pride looked for the destruction of sinners. Jesus in love died for the salvation of sinners. And so we can look upon people who disagree with us or are different from us or don't look like us with contempt and try to keep them at arm's length. Or we can see them through the eyes of Jesus and be moved in compassion towards them. 
So which do we tend to, contempt or compassion? Without the compassion of Christ, we will not be able to continue his work. As he told his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. When we look at all the problems in the world, we have several excellent reasons to be cynical. Right, like what we could think, what impact could a church in Kearney, Missouri possibly have in the nation of Haiti? And when we look out beyond Haiti, just into the world in general, and see the overwhelming effect of billions of humans living as sheep without a shepherd, it's like, what difference can we possibly make? We can be cynical or we can see our world as one with endless harvest opportunities. I'm number two positivity on strengths. So that's why I'm up here preaching. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. And it's tempting to get overwhelmed. I, I, I do this myself sometimes until I remember that the worldwide movement of the Christian faith was started by 13 nobodies in a remote corner of the Roman Empire. Now, let me, let me check. I was a history major. Is the Roman Empire still around? It's not. <laughs> our faith and our tradition has endured. Against all odds. That's how we started. That's where the harvest began. When people began to hear and respond to the voice of Jesus, who the Bible calls the great shepherd of the sheep. Now, I know I'm mixing my metaphors here. I got a little sheep and a little farming. It all works together because when I'm describing the harvest, we're talking about people beginning to know and love and follow Jesus when they experience life on earth as it is in heaven. This was the harvest the disciples were sent out into, and we are too. Now, what I get all the time is, oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute, Pastor. Over my tw- I've been in ministry 20 years, and I've heard all sorts of reactions to this concept that all of us are sent out in, into the harvest. People will say, well, well I, don't, I don't know enough about the Bible, or, or I haven't been a Christian long enough, or my favorite. Isn't that what we pay you for? <laughs> None of you have said that to me, of course. And so I want to encourage you with a reminder that the first disciples, not even they were experts. The people Jesus was saying this to, they didn't have all the answers. When Jesus called the disciples, they had no clue what was waiting for them. Even while Jesus was on earth, they expected that he would become some type of king, not crawl up on a cross. When Jesus was crucified, the apostles, the original ones, they bailed, they scattered. No pun intended. They bailed on him. And it was the women who had to come and tell them about the resurrection. They were the courageous ones. So the first qualification to work in the harvest is not that you are an expert. It is that you're willing. It's that you're willing. That's the first qualification of a disciple. Jesus said the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. I believe God will send us if we are willing. Now we've spent the last two weeks talking about the willingness to give, to help plant seeds of faith through the ministries of our church, to make a move from uh, giving nothing to giving something. That's a huge step in generosity. 
from giving something to intentionally giving as a percentage of our income, something we plan for in advance. And there's a journey that takes place to the biblical principle of tithing, which is 10% of our resources and then beyond that. But what happens when these gifts are given is that they're multiplied into a harvest. At our church, our strategy, what we want to focus on is helping people know Christ, grow together in faith, and then go to serve the world. And I want to just show you a few examples of how that happens because people give. You may have met him this morning serving coffee, one of the hardest working dudes at our church. This is Maverick, my boy. He's grown up in our church. Now, we don't do this at this service all the time, but we've got students who uh, come light the candles. They're called acolytes. I have no official record of this, but Maverick is like the Cal Ripken of acolytes. Like, <laughs> he's, he's probably done it more than anybody. And he's gone from sitting in a first kid's classroom to singing in the choir now that he's in middle school. He told me, some ways I've come to know God are through first going to Sunday school. I got to come to know God while playing fun, hands-on activities. Also, I've come to know God through serving. When I was in third grade, I became an acolyte to serve the church. Lastly, I've come to now know God through impact, where I've gone on fun trips to get closer to him and learn things in our impact meetings. Impact is our student ministry. Maverick is an example of seeds planted as a child and then being harvested as he grows up. Knowing Christ has altered the course of Maverick's life. And we want to have a lot of stories like Maverick's. And we have our work cut out for us. A 2021 Pew Research Center report states that about 3 in 10 U.S. adults are now religiously unaffiliated. And they think the number's higher because sometimes people are embarrassed to say that they may not be. And among the younger generation, Gen Z, do you think that number is higher or lower? It's higher. Friends, the harvest is plenty. We can look at this and be discouraged, or we can say, that's why we exist. To help people know Christ. So we'll never run out of work to do. I love Maverick, and I'm so proud of him. And I'm proud of our church for planting seeds of faith and watching God make them grow to help people know Christ. I want to introduce you to my friend Emily. We baptized uh, her son David last year. This is her husband Nick in the middle here. Emily is a teacher and she's a new-ish mom. And she found our Sunday night group, a small group called aptly, a group for moms. And here's what she told me. She said, my experience in the moms group has been amazing. At first, I was not sure what to expect, but there's been a lot of family things going on in our life right now. And these ladies have not only helped me figure things out, but they have prayed with me and cried with me and have truly been a blessing to me. I've met a friend who's gone through similar things as I am, and it's made this time not as hard to go through. This is an example of the rejoicing and mourning and encouragement that we want to foster in these groups to help people grow in their faith. A 2018 report commissioned by Cigna Insurance Company, they surveyed 20,000 Americans. The results were that over half of Americans report feeling like no one knows them well. 
And, and I, I think we just, it's easy to be, you know, we're more connected than ever before, but it's easy to be in isolation, right? Because what do we do? We pull into our garage door, open that up, go in, close it, stay in our air-conditioned homes, and, 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 and we can just kind of zone out on our phones, and we can lack any real community. Friends, the harvest is plenty. Again, we can look at this and be sad, or we can think, plenty of work to do. Do you know the, the loneliest group of um, Americans, like the age or demographic? Men over 50. And so there's a strategy to this. Like, when I organize and other people help me organize Monday night football, which isn't just for dudes, by the way. Amen. That's right. That's right. Like, I want to say to people, it's not my fault my job is cool. <laughs> right? Like, <clears throat> excuse me. Whoa. Um, that may seem almost frivolous. It's incredibly important because the church can be a place where we can opportun- offer opportunities for people to get to know each other. And not only that, like socially, but in terms of, of eternity, we can help them grow in faith and be known as they come to know God and grow in their faith. The harvest is plenty. Helping people connect to real community like Emily has is exactly why we exist. That's it. I want to introduce you to my friend Pam. I'm going to hit you with one more. This is Pam. She's with our good friend Casey Wolf from earlier this year. And Pam has reached retirement age soon. Congratulations to Pam. And we had a great chat in the lobby the other day. This is what she said to me. You know, people keep asking me what I'm going to do when I retire. I met a couple folks like that recently. And now my new phrase is Christians should never be bored. She said there's always someone to serve and always something to do for Christ. I aspire to be like Pam. I remember my dad saying to me when I got done with seminary, well, what are you going to do to stay sharp? And I was like, I was thinking, uh, nothing. (laughs) That's what I was thinking. Uh, And, you know, when we retire, it's like we have this image that we can finally kick our feet back and, you know, maybe do Monday night football if if it suits me that day. Not Pam, man. She said, there's always someone to serve and always something to do for Christ. Friends, you don't need me to tell you that inflation is making everything more expensive. And the agencies that we partner with, they're not seeing less need. They're seeing more need right here in Kearney. And there are endless ways that we as individuals can go serve the world. And we have outreach ministries like we do. Uh, we partner with the Red Cross. We partner with Carney Food Pantry. We, uh, there's, there's more than I can sit here and list. And that's in Kearney, throughout Kansas City, and even around the globe in Haiti. But don't, don't limit your opportunities for service to just the programs here in our church. What did Jesus say? The harvest is plentiful. There are unlimited ways to go serve the world. And we as a church exist to help people understand their gifts and to go out and use them for God's glory. Clearly the need, there's no shortage. And so we can choose to be sad about that or we can choose to say, like Pam, Christians should never be bored. The harvest is plenty and that's why our church exists to go serve the world in Jesus' name. God will send us into the harvest if we are willing. I believe that. Willing to give, 
willing to try, willing to change, willing to persevere, willing to stick with it. I am so proud to be a part of a church that generously scattered seeds of faith to be multiplied. May we follow God's lead as we seek to help people know Christ, grow together, and go serve the world. The harvest is plenty. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the reminder that we are to be sent out as workers in your harvest field. God, that's an intimidating charge. So we ask that you would give us the wisdom to see those opportunities that intersect with the ways you've gifted us. God, thank you for this church and its legacy of service and generosity here in our community over a century and a half. And God, we locate ourselves on that timeline and we just want to do our best to extend it into the next generation. God, we desperately want you to be known and to have other people know you and be loved by you and to be known in a Christian community of faith. We ask that you would guide and direct all of our efforts, not so that we would just be busy and create calendar magnets and more stuff to do, but that we would realize that we are part of your rescue mission for the world, your great harvest for people to know the saving love of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen.